Because of this incident, it opened up this window into their family that nobody was looking at. And now, then the younger son goes missing. I just, it goes, it turns up dead. The wife, Maggie, it's astonishing to me. As someone who has been through extreme violence and has a psychopathic father, I wish I could explain what goes through these people's heads. I wish I could understand still to this day why they think they will get away with this. And the only defense that I have for that. Testimony continued today in the most notorious criminal trial in Richland County history. Dr. John Boyle is accused of killing his wife, Noreen, and burying her body in the basement of his new home in Erie, Pennsylvania. The 12-year-old son finally took the stand. As I heard a scream, I heard a thud. It was about this loud. We, the jury, find the defendant guilty. When I was 12 years old, my testimony sent my father to prison for murdering my mother. This podcast serves as a type of therapy and reconciliation for myself, and it is my hope that it helps anyone who has experienced deception, betrayal, and dark trauma. I'm Collier Landry, and this is Moving Past Murder. Hey, movers. Welcome back to another episode of Moving Past Murder. I'm your host, Collier Landry, and what's going on? Happy Friday, February 3rd. What a day. What a week, actually. The end of an era is upon us. We had two retirements on February 1st. We had Tom Brady, who has finally decided again to retire from the NFL after 23 seasons. And Dr. Phil, after, I guess, 23 seasons, 21 seasons, something like that, of his television show, has decided to call it quits after this season. Congratulations to both those guys for having amazing careers. I got to meet one of them. Obviously, as you guys know, I was on Dr. Phil, which you guys can check out that episode, which is on my Patreon if you guys are subscribers. There are links to that below. CallYourLandry.com forward slash support if you want to check it out. But uh, yeah, I got to meet Dr. Phil and was I was on his show and uh, he was really cool to me, actually. I was very nervous about being on his show, but... It was good. He interviewed me about my film, A Murder in Mansfield, and obviously about the murder of my mother by my father. It was a great episode. He was very nice to me. We took pictures and stuff like that, which I have also, like I said, on the Patreon. So you should check it out. Bye. What a week, though. I guess today I just was reading in the headlines that there is a Chinese spy balloon that is flying somewhere over the United States, over Billings, Montana, apparently. Like, what, like literally, what's going on? What's going on? What is going on in the world? What a bizarre thing, like a, a balloon. And I guess the Chinese government is saying that there's it's weather related or something. And it drifted off course because of weather patterns and force majeure. Who knows? I, these things are well beyond the scope of this podcast host for sure. I don't need to really weigh in on them. I did watch a couple of things this week, which I do want to talk about. I finally watched that documentary about the Murdoch's or Murdoch's or however you pronounce it called Low Country, which is on HBO Max. It's actually a docu-series. And I love anything that HBO does as documentary anyways. And, uh, and I always feel like there is a real, watching their documentaries, there's always a really high level of, of journalistic integrity. And, and like when you make a documentary and you do it through a network like HBO, you're really held accountable. And so I feel like the information that they give is really, you can bank on it versus following. I talk a lot about on this program about media conjecture, especially related around true crime and the commodification of true crime. When I see something on HBO, 
I'm intrigued. And it's all over the news, this guy. And my goodness, there were a few moments, there were more than a few moments, honestly, where I was just like, this guy is a carbon copy of my father. Probably the most interesting part to me, look, first of all, this is a family that had like a lockdown dynasty on their, like the great, great grandfather was a solicitor. So they've had a hold on, and for those of you who don't know what a solicitor is like a prosecutor, I believe, <laughs> and they've had a stranglehold on this small community in South Carolina for like a hundred plus years. And then this guy, Alex Murdaugh, has been implicated and obviously he's a suspect. He is on trial right now for this. Not only has he been implicated in like a ripping like hundreds of people off or almost a hundred people off because he had a private law firm that he would represent people in cases of you get into a car accident, you file a lawsuit against an insurance company to get payment and things of that nature. And I guess he was running this sort of scam apparently that, uh, and he was keeping all the money. Now there's a lot of claims that he was, that he claims that he was an opioid addict and that's where that money went. Tens of millions of dollars this guy got away with. It'd be really unfortunate if it was all, if it all went to drugs. I, I can't even imagine and look, the opioid epidemic is a real crisis in this country. I think we all know that. But my God, that's a lot of pills. If it's all gone on, wow. And it's really unfortunate because those people obviously need that money from these insurance settlements. And this guy stole it all. I don't understand. I really don't understand how one gets away with these things or how one thinks they're going to get away with these things or how they're, I don't know. The what is the restitution these people are going to get? There's nothing. It's just, it's so tragic. On top of that, this guy is on trial for murdering his wife and his own son. Apparently this went down in, I believe July of 2021. And I know many of you follow this stuff, so I'm probably preaching to the choir, but this went down in July of 2021, where he apparently plotted to, to murder both his wife and his, his younger son. And it's so tragic. And I thought, it's just next level. And apparently on top of that, there was a missing house, or there was a housekeeper who mysteriously died in his home a couple of years prior to that. The younger son who was killed, Paul, I believe his name is, he was implicated in a boating accident where he was intoxicated apparently. And this poor girl lost her life, which is the center of the whole story, which is what I really liked because it starts out, it's hard. I don't like it because it's a story, but it starts out with this investigation of this girl, this poor girl who lost her life in college and was hanging out with the Murdaugh's kids who apparently could do no wrong in the community, of course. And he was a drinker and it was a boating accident and her boyfriend was on the boat and he was in love with her and she went missing. They, they, couldn't, they didn't find her body for a week or two weeks or something. It was insane. The quest that this guy, this young man has, his name is Connor, I believe, not too far from Collier. His quest to find closure in all of this, which he's very calm throughout this whole documentary. He's obviously clearly been affected by this. And they interview his parents and families and, and the family of the girl. And it's really, I believe her name was Mallory, actually. 
and she was just a poor victim but her because of this incident it opened up this window into their family that nobody was looking at and now then the younger son goes missing i just it goes it turns up dead the wife maggie it's astonishing to me as someone who has been through extreme violence and has a psychopathic father i wish i could explain what goes through these people's heads i wish i could understand still to this day why they think they will get away with this and the only defense that i have for that is it's in their nature it's the psychopath it's the narcissism it's that they literally think they are smarter than everyone and they can do whatever the hell they want i don't know it's a lot for me um anyway so i watched the documentary and at the oh sorry at the docuseries and at the end he's on the phone with his son buster who's the older son now this older son has lost his mother and his younger brother and his father is in jail for not only defrauding all these people but also for the murder of his mother and his younger brother and they're having this conversation of just this light and oh what'd you guys do last night and he's telling his dad how he went to a party or something with his girlfriend who's in college and she and dad's like, oh can i talk to her and he's like, oh no she's going upstairs she's tired she's hung over we had he's like, oh y'all had a good time last night and he starts going into this whole fantasy realm of i just remember when mom would get buzzed up and how funny she was wasn't she funny when she would get buzzed up like he's having this conversation with his son and his son is on the phone he's like yeah and what hit me is this is the same stuff my father would pull with me it was i don't know it was kind of next level and you can hear it in this kid's voice and then the dad keeps on talking of oh yeah i just i don't know if it was miss her or whatever it was but I, my father would do the exact same thing with me he would start talking about it. there's an episode that i did months ago where my father romanticizes falling in love with my mother like he sent me this letter i should reread this letter and he's explaining their backstory and how he saw her in the convertible and she pulled her sunglasses down and she looked at him and he was hooked it was love at first sight all this stuff and i'm thinking to myself not only did you were you a womanizer the entire time you were married to my mother and everyone knew that but also you murdered her what do you mean love at first sight and i think that these things are just so next level i really feel for the family in this one the legacy that this buster kid i don't know where he's at in his life i think he's 23 ish 24 maybe 25 probably he's starting a whole other journey and not only has he lost his mother i'm sure he was very close to but also his he's losing his father he's lost his younger brother his whole way of life and now his family has been disgraced because of all of this because of the father where do you go what do you do for me i left my small town of mansfield ohio because i wanted to be unknown and start a whole new life and that's what this kid is probably gonna have to do or if he's already not done it and i just it, it, all these things just ring so true and i've spent the last couple episodes talking about the anna walsh case with her children two four and six and what's going to happen with them after her apparent murder by her husband brian and there's there's a lot of media conjecture around this 
Idaho Four case and Brian Koberger, but now there's the mother who has been uh, the mother of one of the girls who has been interviewed, who is a heroin addict, who has now recently been in the last couple of days been arrested outside in Yakima, Washington, for you know, possess drug possession and things like that. Just the spiral is something I've been talking about for a very long time. The spiral and the chaos that comes out of violence and violation and it's just a downward it's just a downward spiral what can i say there's no other way to put it and but i want to get to a listener question of the week because i always read you guys listener questions of the week this one comes from diana on instagram and she says collier your youtube channel popped up on my feed for the first time today i listened to a few videos while cleaning and decluttering i'm glad you decluttered while listening to me and I wanted to say thank you for sharing your story. It doesn't sound easy what you went through, but I can tell it, tell it you made it, I can tell it made you mentally stronger and wiser. For a very long time, I thought everyone lived like the Brady Bunch family or the Flintstones. I'm glad that people like yourself are coming out and not afraid to talk about their lives. Thank you for that. Good luck on your journey. I think you're helping many people and it sounds like you're doing cool things in your life. Diana. Diana, thank you so much for reaching out. It really makes me happy. I try to do cool things in my life. And this podcast is one of those things. And um, I'm glad that it's impacting people. I, it, this, It's a lot of work to put the show on. And so when people reach out and it's impacting them, and I know it has an impact. And somebody once said to me, it's not the people that you see. It's the people that you don't see who are impacted and or, or that reach out to you that don't reach out to you that are impacted. And I firmly believe that I think about that in my own life of the people that have impacted me. And I might not always say, Hey, thank you. Or, Hey, that's amazing. You've really inspired me, but yeah. Hey, one of them was Tom Brady who recently, like I said, retired. Hey, that man just always wins and just always fights. Right. But I digress. So back to what I was saying about this sort of downward spiral there is another, there's a few things that have happened this week. One is, so I work in, I worked in Hollywood for a long time as a cinematographer and Alec Baldwin and this girl, Hannah Gutierrez Reed have been charged with involuntary manslaughter in New Mexico for the onset death of cinematographer Helena Hutchins, which is absolutely horrible. It happened in October of 2021. And you know, there's a lot of talk about the safety that was on the set and the safety. Obviously, they're using firearms. This uh, Hannah Gutierrez Reed was the armorer. There's another guy who's pled out who was the assistant director. And apparently Alec was handed the gun and it said cold gun, which means on set that there's no bullets in the gun. And I, <laughs> this is such a, this is such a touchy subject, I think, for a lot of people, especially in Hollywood, because there's a lot of talk of the set was unsafe. It was an independent film that was low budget, obviously, and they always cut corners. And that's a terrible thing. There was a young woman who was killed years ago. Her name was Sarah E. Jones, and she was killed moving some camera equipment off a train track. They were filming in, I believe, Georgia. And she was killed. There was a train that they did not prepare for. And those producers actually went to prison, I believe for a couple of years 
for this because they didn't have the updated train schedule and all these things and they put the crew's life in danger. And it's really, this is a weird situation because Alec Baldwin is a producer on the film, but he's also the talent and he's also the person. He claims he didn't pull the trigger. He claims he cocked back the hammer and the gun went off. I have no idea. Apparently this prosecutor who is in New Mexico has decided to press these charges has said the FBI crime lab in Quantico turned back and said, look, they gave a report that said the gun had actually been fired because they examined the firearm, obviously. And there's been video released of when this happened. It's just, it's a mess. It's a mess. And obviously, I think everyone could agree that Alec Baldwin was not trying to kill cinematographer Helena Hutchins, who, God rest her soul, is an innocent victim in this. It's so awful. And also, I would note that the director of the film was also injured in this. He didn't lose his life, but he was also injured. But just so unfortunate. But I think about this in... Think about a time when I was visiting a girlfriend of mine and I was on a set and I was walking past and a light just happened to fall. And this is before I even worked in the film business. This is like 2008, I think. And a light was up really high. It was what we call in the, it was a junior is what we call, which is a 2K light, which is a mole Richardson, which is very heavy. It was really up high on a stand and it was on the wrong stand and it fell and it hit me in the back of the head. The light did not hit me because if the light hit me, I probably wouldn't be here. But the back of the stand hit me right across the neck and they had to take me to the hospital to get x-rays and all this stuff. It was a, it was like a nightmare. But I was just like, ugh, man. <laughs> it was a drag. I was very lucky because it didn't hit me. But I thought about what if that had happened to me? And obviously there's insurance for these types of things, but there is a level of negligence that this prosecutor is alleging was not only with this armorer who is in charge of all the firearms, but also Alec Baldwin as the actor who fired the firearm and also as the producer saying that they did not act responsibly. And this is their negligence is what caused this death. And even though it was an accidental death, they're saying that it doesn't matter in the eyes of the law, which I understand, but it's criminal negligence is apparently what they're claiming. So, this is, and again, this is a bit of a, a red herring, what I'm going to talk about, but the red herring is how in the hell did a live round get onto the set is my question and why it's not the prosecutor's question. Because I have worked on a Western myself. A few years ago, I worked with a gentleman named Stephen Campanelli. He is the first assistant or first unit director for the wonderful master of Westerns himself, Clint Eastwood. And he is a amazingly accomplished cinematographer, steady cam operator and director himself. Amazing guy. We had a lot of fun. He's Canadian. So he's super cool. He, we were using these antique guns because it's a period piece. And it was, and I just remember being close to the camera and I had heard the guns fire. We had done a little rehearsal. We were doing a camera rehearsal and I was making this move and as I was coming around, the girl fired the rifle and I swear to God, I must've jumped six feet in the air. It was so loud. It scared the living crap out of me. And I was just, uh, <laughs> it was very embarrassing actually, but we ended up getting the shot, but it was it reminded me of how close we are to these types of things. But our armor, we had a big safety meeting every day 
and every day we were using these firearms and he would explain this is a gun this is this and a lot of times you think you're sitting there you're going okay let's just get on with it can we just eat our food can we just get on with our day but it actually is very important to discuss these safety things now i was not on the set of rust i have no idea but i you can hear that they that they said it was a cold gun but again my biggest concern is how does live ammunition get on the set how does that get confused with the other dummy rounds, the blanks that are used? That's really concerning to me. And I, look, and a lot of people were saying, oh, the gun, the truck was super messy where they had the props. They had those. Let me tell you something. I've worked on plenty of film sets. Stuff gets messy. They were halfway through production, I believe. It's gets messy <laughs> stuff so anyone coming from an outsider you go oh it was really messy and these guys are weighing in on it these journalists and talking heads and it's like if you ever been to a film set man it gets a little messy but it just begs the question so back to my original thought which is i was almost struck in the back of the head by a light that was not properly secured that fell over because it was actually an apt actor had crossed in and he got tangled up with the extension cord or what we call a stinger on set and I thought to myself, okay, thinking about that incident, what if I had been killed? Because for sure, if this light had hit me in the back of the head, it would have taken a chunk out of my skull. They're very heavy, very dangerous. <laughs> you don't want to get hit, especially as high as it was too. And I remember so thinking about that, would someone have been criminally negligent for not properly laying the extension cord or the stinger, as we call them on set, for not properly bagging down the light or making sure that no one, an actor, couldn't trip over the cords and cause an accident like that. It's an interesting thought to think about. And again, a gun is fired. It's a lot different than a light falling. But again, where do we draw the line on the negligence? And shouldn't a performer who is in a movie, even if they're, regardless of their producer or not, is it now their responsibility to check the firearm that they're being handed to, handed by another professional? And do they need to check that too? And think about this. This is Alec Baldwin, who's obviously very rich and very famous. And this has obviously deeply affected this guy. And he's talked about it publicly. And whatever your sentiments are on Alec Baldwin, it, it, this is not the question. <laughs> this is not what we're talking about. What I'm talking about is what if it's another actor that doesn't have the resources to defend themselves or they're caught up in this situation and maybe they're just starting their career and now they're going, potentially facing jail because it's 18 months because of the involuntary manslaughter, but because there's a firearm used, he can get another five years. And so can this armorer who handed the gun over. It's, it really, it calls into question a lot of ethical questions. And again, this is nothing, a life was lost. Helena Hutchins lost her life, which is horrifically tragic. Again, but are we going to now go after and criminally convict someone and put other people in prison? And yeah, I, maybe an example needs to be set. I think that's what this prosecutor feels. I think there's a lot of people that feel this way. For me, I, I, I'm really torn on this because I want to know how does a live round get into the set? How does <laughs> Where was that happening? How does that happen? That's my big question for all of this. And look, I was a cinematographer in the union, Local 600. There, 
there are a lot of safety measures on set. This, I believe, was a non-union set, which, to be honest with you, like I said, I've worked a long time in this industry. Non-union sets can get a little hairy, and I've had many a friend complain about dangers and things, and not even about firearms or anything like that, just, just general safety and being able to take breaks on time and getting fed. And <laughs> there's always things that fall by the wayside on these sets, but gun safety should never be one of them. But how did that live round? They don't really seem to be too concerned about how live rounds got into the set. And I've heard speculation and conjecture that there was people were firing guns. It's New Mexico is an open carry state or a state where you can obviously have a firearm in possession of a firearm, right? It's not like California, but it's, it poses a lot of questions about how we, how justice will be carried out what the implications are further into the entertainment industry and what is negligence and wh where does that line get drawn between an accident and an intent or charges being filed against someone. Because if that light had hit me in the back of the head, I'm pretty sure that no one would have been charged for my manslaughter or my murder on set. I just, I don't think that would have happened, but will this carry out a new, uh, will this be a new set a new standard in the entertainment industry that if there's negligence like i think about obviously one of the things that i think about on set is right because i was i've worked in the lighting departments cinematographer we work a lot with lighting we're always working with lighting and camera and a lot of the electrical safety you have to take safety courses in the union but a lot of times on a non-union set you're working with people that might not understand electricity like when you're plugging in lights you don't put your knee on the ground because the electricity will carry through you and kill you if it's not properly grounded because you're essentially grounding yourself so the electricity will run through you. If you have on shoes with soles, rubber soles, there is insulation and you'll get sparked and it'll suck and it'll arc on you, as we call it, but you won't die, most likely. And I've seen that happen with people that have plugged in generators that have plugged in what we call camlock into electrical panels on sound stages that didn't know what they were doing use things we have a thing called a suicide pin which you forces you to reverse connect something the ground lead so you don't get killed and there's all these safety measures in place but sometimes safety measures don't work as in the case of what happened on rust call i'm really curious and i'd love to hear your you as the audiences your thoughts on this because i Look, I know a lot of people have opinions of Hollywood, and again, he's a big famous actor, Alec Baldwin, but I, like, I wonder what the way forward is. Like, where do you draw the line on negligence? I just remember there was a, there, hearing stories of someone who, people have fallen off of high, there, there are beams that go across sound stages in Hollywood that are 80, 100 feet up from the sound stage where people are, and a lot of times you're not wearing a safety harness <laughs> up there. You, sometimes you're supposed to, but a lot of people don't do that. And they'll just walk up across these beams over the thing and they'll connect lights and connect power cables and things. And I remember somebody fell and died. I believe someone on a James Cameron film back in the 90s was run over by a lift or a lift device. Things happen. And where do we draw the line? I don't know. I would love to hear your thoughts on this. I would love to hear your thoughts on today's episode. I have a lot of random thoughts popping through my head, but I'm still focused on this balloon that's flying overhead. I don't know what's going on. If you guys are watching on YouTube, please leave a message in the comments below. Please 
and subscribe if you are on YouTube. And if you are listening to this podcast, please rate and review five stars on your podcast app, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts from. I would really appreciate it. I'd love to hear from you guys in the comments or in my social media. All my social media is at Collier Landry. Links below in the show notes. Thank you all so much. This has been an interesting episode for me. And on that note, I'm Collier Landry, and this is Moving Past Murder. Thanks, y'all. This podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible. Find us on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash Collier Landry. The film A Murder in Mansfield is available on Investigation Discovery, Discovery Plus, and Amazon Prime Video. This podcast is a production of Don't Touch My Radio.